Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the moon. I'm your host for this evening, Lawrence Ray. And today I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts, Ricardo Martinez and Jerry. And today we are interviewing Charlie Schumacher, uh, Director of Corporate Communications at Marathon Mining. How are you doing today, Charlie? Very well, thank you for having me. Nice. Well, we are glad to have you here for sure. Uh, and well, to kick us off, I've got a very simple question for you. Uh, Director of Corporate Communications. It sounds pretty impressive. Uh, what does your role actually entail? Of What do you do at, at Marathon? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, thank you. Yeah, it is. It, it does sound impressive. It's good for my ego. It's nice. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the joke I like to tell people is that um, I'm in charge of all the words at Marathon. Um, so my background, uh, prior to Marathon, I was in the investor relations world. I used to work at an agency. Uh, Marathon was actually a client of mine. I was kind of the Bitcoin guy at the office and happy to go to that if you guys want the whole story. But um, the uh, so I kind of came on on board originally as I think predominantly just to run IR for the company. Um, mining's a weird industry in that we don't, there's no product differentiation because we all make Bitcoin, it's all fungible. And we don't have any customers because we just hold all of our Bitcoin today. So when we're thinking about our communications efforts, we're, we're a publicly traded company. So if we're not fighting for customers, we're not trying to build a network, really what we're doing is, I guess you could argue fighting for investor mindshare. And so the IR side was sort of the priority, at least initially on our communication side. Um, so that's really what I was originally brought in to do was kind of beef up the investor relations side of things. Uh, that has evolved very quickly into uh, doing not just the IR stuff, but also PR. So I run our social media. Um, I'm technically, I think, in charge of all the words on the website, uh, help with our kind of government relations, anything that's kind of education based for the business. So uh, between Fred and myself, we're uh, sort of the two um, communications or mouthpieces for the business, if you would. I was about to ask you, do you I assume you play guitar, right? You've got a, a guitar. Is that a guitar? It looks like it's six. Yeah, strings. it is. Yeah. Um, I do. I uh I used to play a lot when I was when I was younger. Um these days it's uh you know it's it's more I guess of like a therapeutic tool for me more than anything else. Um uh but it is funny when I when I moved into this apartment and put it up, I didn't realize it was gonna be as such a prominent position for all my Zoom calls. So now I'm always having to you know, explain why there's a, there's a guitar on the wall and make sure people understand that I'm working for marathon and not over here just playing guitar all day long. <laughs> Either sounds good, man. You said you deal with like investor relations. Um, I know Blockstream has like a mining certificate. Does marathon have like some sort of financial instrument that people are investing in or are they buying like the mining machines? Uh, so actually neither. So we're, we're a publicly traded company. We're listed on NASDAQ. We were one of the first Bitcoin miners to be listed on NASDAQ. Um, there's now a ton, right? It's amazing how the space has changed. A year ago, there were just a handful of publicly traded miners, like maybe five or so. Um, I think where we're at today is there's 24 to 30, somewhere in that range. It's like every day I see a new, you know, announcement about a new company coming in, coming public in the Bitcoin mining space. So it's it's changed quite drastically. But no, we don't have a we don't have any consumer facing products. Um, we don't, we don't offer financial services. We don't sell machines. We don't manufacture machines either. Um, we, as a business essentially just purchase machines. And then we actually don't even plug them in ourselves. We outsource that part of the business. Um, happy to go into this, but we've got a very different strategy from kind of most other Bitcoin miners out there. We're not trying to vertically integrate. We don't own real estate. We don't own data centers. Um, our kind of philosophy is all about trying to generate the highest return on assets or return on investment for our shareholders. And we believe the best way to do that is just to buy and own assets that generate revenue. Um, so Bitcoin miners, right? Uh, they're like little internet money printing presses. Um, so we essentially just buy those from manufacturers, own those and kind of outsource everything else pretty much as our business. Yeah, if you could uh, give some more information, because I mean, uh, I guess from a basic perspective, you'd, you'd think if you're buying the miners, you'd want to potentially own or at least, I don't know, rent where they're stored and have some kind of input yeah. into uh, other things. Like, because you, you literally, you're owning the miners. Are you, are you, do you have employees or are you literally just completely outsourcing every aspect of the, you know, like, so there's, is there someone looking after the machines or is that someone who doesn't work for you or does work for you? How does that work out? Really good question. Um, 
We, yeah, we do have employees, uh, but not a ton. Um, so we're today, I think we're, we're all the way up to 11 full-time employees, um, which is always surprising to people when they kind of, you know, look at who we are as a business. Um, we are adding to that. Um, you know, there's, there's more, we're at a point, I think we're just commensurate with our scale It one makes sense to have more resources internally, but two also, we're very much focused on looking at different ways that we can grow the business. Um, and so it's just useful to have, you know, more hands on deck, more talent internally for stuff like that. Um, but no, to go back to your question about sort of how we're structured. Um, so we essentially, we purchase mining hardware machines from manufacturers. Bitmain is who we predominantly buy from. I think we're most probably their single largest customer, um, at least in terms of hash rate, uh, or even in terms of units of machines, probably. So to date, we've purchased 199,000 machines that uh, we're expecting all of those to be online probably early next year, so early 2023. And that'll put us at 23.3 exahash, which is like the big metric in our industry, right? What's your hash rate? That's what everyone talks about. Um, it's, uh, and that will make us by far, I think the largest, at least of people who've contracted for equipment were the largest among public miners, um, based on those projections. Uh, we partner with a company called compute North who actually is the company that builds our data, that builds the data center, if you would. And then we populate it with our miners. So one analogy I, I found helpful for people is you could think that compute North is like building shopping malls and we're their anchor tenant. So we'll come into the space and either use, you know, 100% of the capacity they have available, or we'll use, you know, a large percentage of it, and then they'll sell the rest of the rack space to other miners who are looking for somewhere to host their machines, um, which is a big thing today. There's a lot of miners who are trying to come into the U.S. and looking for places to host their equipment. Um, so Compute North, I think, is in a pretty good position from that perspective. And then uniquely because we're agile we actually kind of have this three-way structure with agreements now where we work not just with compute north for hosting but we also partner directly with large-scale renewable power companies to deploy our machines so there's kind of a three-way structure here if you think about the different pieces to the puzzle that make up bitcoin mining in some ways it's a very simple uh business and industry you basically need a power source uh and you need the machines and then you need that connected you just need the machines hooked up to power and you need them connected to the internet so they can work on the Bitcoin protocol. Um, so the three of us, it's its not partnerships too strong of a word, but the three companies working together actually works very well. We bring the miners uh, to the table, renewable power companies supply the power, and then Compute North kind of sits in the middle to help build out the infrastructure and connect the two parties. Did, um, why, why, why this business model? I'm trying to understand, like you said, it's pretty um, unorthodox and quite different from what it's, what is out there? So why did you guys decide to opt for this business model? And is this going to change anytime soon? <laughs> Good question. Um, it is a little unorthodox and it's pretty different from the way the industry used to operate. Um, so most people today are trying to vertically integrate in mining or that's the buzzword that people are using. Technically, I don't think you're really vertically integrated unless you own your power. So, you know, it depends on what you want to define as vertical integration. But um, the theory behind owning hosting facilities is that you can reduce your operating expenses. That's the primary reason people went after doing it. And we actually tried that. We did do this once. Um, our facility in Hardin, Montana, which is where most of our machines are running today, um, we have about 30,000 machines running at a facility there. We actually did attempt to vertically integrate. We don't own the source of power. We don't own the power station there, but we built, we paid the sort of the CapEx, if you would, for the data center and the switch gear. Um, and we have, uh, we contract with someone to actually host the miners for us. So we did kind of do that attempt. The theory, what's interesting. So the theory was that you could save money on your OPEX if you're vertically integrated. The reason that it, the math doesn't really pencil though is the single biggest input cost by far to running a mining operation is power. So unless you own your power, you're not actually reducing your operating expenses that much. And interestingly, what we found is actually because of our scale, we actually have lower cost to operate by outsourcing everything than we do by trying to build a data center. So you can think about it like this, right? Um, if you, a data center could cost, depending on your size of scale, um, let's just take like 100 megawatts, for example, which is about 30,000 Bitcoin miners, depending on the model. Um, it's going to cost you anywhere between probably 35 and $50 million to build the data center. 
If you do that, you may be able to save about 10% on your operating expenses because you didn't, because you're not paying to rent space from somebody else. But if you were to go out and take 30 or $50 million and buy Bitcoin miners, which make Bitcoin at 80 plus percent margin, like what's the return on that investment, right? So it really came down to just capital allocation. Um, we get a way higher return by owning magic money printing presses, if you would, right? Than we do by owning real estate and data centers. There's lots of other reasons for it. I'm happy to go into them if you guys want, but that's really kind of the basic uh, thought behind the philosophy. It seems like a smart move, like to focus in on something, right? Like you guys have to focus in on specifically one thing you're very, very, very good at. And then you can leave the hassle of looking after all these physical areas and centers and rent and power to someone else. But um, yeah, go, if there's any more reasons, please, uh, please divulge. No, I mean, that's your spot on, right? It's like, it's kind of specialization, right? Like, let's do what we're good at, right? Which is vetting equipment, building relationships with vendors, running kind of the logistics of that. And like, let's let other people who are good at what they do and experts in their field do their thing. Um, so part of it is this business is changing. Bitcoin mining has been around for as long as Bitcoin, right? But it's it just became a teenager, right? This year, um, it's 13 years old, right? Um, and we're in a very, very early stage of this industry starting to become more professional and kind of moving to like an enterprise scale, if you would. Again, as we said, at one point there were, what, like five publicly traded Bitcoin miners. There's almost 30 now. Um, and I know this from just having worked kind of on the IR side with Marathon for a while, but a year and a half ago, there was zero institutional interest, like no traditional um, investment managers, portfolio managers, hedge funds would touch this space. Um, today, Marathon, just for reference, is about 35 to 40% institutionally held. So you've seen this like massive transition on kind of the capital market side. Um, and I think that that is also driving kind of innovation on the hardware and the rest of the industry. Um, so we're big believers that the hardware and kind of all of the infrastructure of this industry is going to change very drastically over the next few years. Um, we think the world's kind of moving to immersion cooling is one example of that, um, which by the way, if you build a data center and it's all designed to be air cooled, you have to redesign it completely to do immersion cooling. So the lifetime of building data, data centers don't actually have a very long lifetime, depending on how the industry evolves, maybe five years, but not 20 years. So that's another reason we don't want to be in that business is just the lifetime of, you know, a data center is not super long. Um, the other part of it though is, and then the hardware equipment itself is going to change drastically. If you think about today, what a Bitcoin miner looks like, it's like a little shoebox. It's like a desktop computer. You know, it was designed that like that design was meant for someone who has like five in their garage. Right. Um, or, you know, their wife gets pissed off at them and they have to move them into a warehouse somewhere. Right. But it's meant to just be like a few at a time. It's not meant to have a hundred thousand in a warehouse. So we think that the entire hardware side of the market is going to get redesigned. Um, what does that do to the infrastructure again, right? Does it go to immersion Do uh, so we think there's just a lot of moving parts at the moment. Um, but the other interesting piece of this puzzle, and this is maybe like one of the, the I think some, a way that this industry is going to evolve that Fred and I, my CEO and I have been talking about for a while, but I don't think most people realize quite yet is that the power companies are going to be the Bitcoin miners of the future because they own the single biggest input costs. And if today large scale power companies are very interested in learning about Bitcoin mining and tons of reasons for that, happy to go into that. Um, they're all looking to kind of dip their toes into this space. And they're, to do that, they need to partner with someone who has a lot of excess machines and is able to deploy their facilities. If you're building data centers, you're fixed in a single location, right? You're stuck wherever you built your data center. That means that you don't have the option to kind of get up and move. It also means that you potentially have risk from a regulatory perspective, right? There's a lot of talk around how the regulation is gonna evolve with Bitcoin mining. If the state decides to shut you down, you're stuck, right? You've, you have a massive sunk cost with your data center. You can't just pick up the infrastructure and move it. If you only own machines, you can pick them up and move them wherever you want. Um, if you build a data center, you're most probably signing a PPA with a power company, which means you're contracted to eat a certain amount of power because we don't build data centers. We don't have to do that. Um, Compute North, our hosting provider, bears that risk and that burden. 
Um, and so because we just own machines, we not only are very asset light, like we kind of have this, this de-risked business model, if you would, it's higher return on assets, but it also positions as well for how we think the industry is going to evolve. So it puts us in a really good position to start having conversations with large scale power companies and help teach them how to mine Bitcoin, essentially. You mentioned renewable energy. How much of Marathon's yeah. energy consumption is based on renewables? So by the end of this year, we've put out a target to be 100% carbon neutral. Um, that's predominantly going to be renewable power. We haven't said exactly what the mix of it is long term, but so we're, we have 30,000 machines roughly running today. I think 32 is what we said at the start of January. Um, most of our fleet at this point is being deployed in Texas uh, behind the meter at wind and solar farms operated by one of the largest renewable power companies in North America. Uh, we haven't said who they are, neither of they. There's, you know, they're being a little cagey. I think they'll be public about who they are soon, but stay tuned on that one. Um, so we operate directly at the source of power, which, by the way, if you want to say you're using green energy, which is important for us, um, the only way you really know that is to be at the source of power, right? Because like, similar to Bitcoin being fungible, like an electron's an electron, right? Like, <laughs> it's you can't tell if you're which where exactly where it came from once it's kind of in the grid and going through the power system. So if you want to know with certainty that you're using kind of green energy or renewable power, you need to be at the source of power generation. Um, we're deploying in Texas in a really big way. Um, and the Texas grid itself, the ERCOT grid, I think it's over 60% uh, renewable power um, just as a whole, like as a mix. And so what we're doing with most of our locations is we're directly at sources of power, but as I'm sure you guys all know, like wind and solar are intermittent power sources. They're not perfectly stable, right? That's part of the challenge with like the world trying to move to renewable sources. And so what we also have is we have a grid connect um, at these locations. So if we're in a situation where, you know, the sun's not shining as much or the wind's not blowing as much and we need to pull excess power, we can pull off of the grid. And that's again, about 60% renewable itself. And then we'll offset the discount with carbon recs. Uh, which we also purchased from the power company because of that relationship we have there. So it's hard to say exactly what the total percentage of like pure green power is, if you would. Um, and I know that the carbon neutral thing like carries baggage for some folks because it's like, well, how are you establishing that? Um, but we're predominantly going to be renewable power directly and then offset uh, with carbon recs for, you know, the mix, if you would, from the grid connect. It's, it's funny to me because like... Um... A lot of the uh, stuff we've heard for the last, I don't know how many years about Bitcoin being super dangerous and terribly horrible for the environment. It seems to be kind of dying down a little bit as people started to realize that it feels actually like mining is, is becoming, I mean, just to me anyway, from what I'm seeing on, on the media, is that mining is kind of going from being this devil to actually slowly becoming like the darling of Bitcoin to a degree because people are starting to realize that, oh, actually, wait a second, you know, where there's like uh, too much energy being wasted, actually, we could use that. Uh, yep. you know, and actually do something with that. Oh, well, surprise, surprise, you know. Um, so it feels like it's almost the other way around. People are interested in kind of like how originally it was like, oh, not crypto, blockchain, you know, that's what we're interested in. It's now become like not Bitcoin, but Bitcoin mining seems to be like the yeah. thing that people are interested in. Do so you see, um, I think it's only a few hours ago, Putin came out um, and has like halted uh, the Bank of Russia, I think it's Bank of Russia, whatever, whoever it is in Russia that was trying to ban Bitcoin. He said, wait a second, we've got like, you know, we've got lots of energy we could potentially use here. And it might, this might be favorable for us to mine Bitcoin. I don't know if you saw it or yeah. not, but um, he came out literally just a couple of hours back, I think it was, that I saw the article. Um, so it does feel like there's a lot of changes uh, going on. But do you guys feel pressure from investors to get to the carbon neutral side of things? Is, is that where, is there a lot of pressure coming from people who are actually investing in you guys? for you to do that or or how much like i wondered where that's coming from like if it's just an internal decision or if it's like a pressure from investors thing or, or pressure from just outside sources yeah it's it's a bit of both i mean it is very much kind of an internal philosophy and something you know we we care deeply about at marathon i think everyone in kind of the organization does um it is also like honestly a very good business decision um so you know selfishly maximizing profits for shareholders like this is a very good way to do it um which I'll go into in just a second. Um, 
Cause I think that's like, that's something that people didn't realize like a year ago. Um, and actually in a lot of ways still don't. Um, but then, yeah, there's, you know, there's a really big ESG movement among the institutional investor community. Some of that's generational, but like, I don't think that's going away. Like we think that's here to stay. So it is also, you do get, you know, you get pressure from lots of different angles for it, but it predominantly comes for us like intrinsically philosophically the way that we want to run the business. Um, What's interesting, though, and I think this is, you know, kind of to your point, um, Lawrence, about the way that like people are changing their perspective of Bitcoin mining. Um, even now, we're still kind of fighting this battle of like Bitcoin just sucks away the world's energy and it's all, you know, it's propagating and keeping up uh, fossil fuel plants, um, which really like really isn't the case. I think a year ago, that argument was much more valid when China banned Bitcoin mining, which was almost entirely coal operated, um, you saw all of that change, right? So you just saw the energy mix of the entire industry change in a couple months. And something unique about the United States is there's a, we have an excess of power in this country, which is very different from lots of other places in the world. So Europe, for example, is having a lot of problems with energy at the moment because they, they made a transition to renewables too aggressively and too quickly, and they shut down all their nuclear. And so as a result of that, they're actually having to fire up old diesel plants um, in order to like offset and use as like base load power. Um, we don't have that issue today in the US. I think we're making that transition a lot more slowly and hopefully more strategically. But if you think about the way that kind of power consumption works, supply and demand have to always be balanced on the grid because there's no large scale batteries for power, which I don't, which is something I didn't know before I really got into Bitcoin mining. Um, you know, I just, I plug things into my wall and it works, right? Sometimes uh, like if it's super hot in the summer here in California, power goes out and that's just like, why, right? Like I, I had no idea. Um, the issue is that power and so supply and demand have to be perfectly balanced because there's no battery storage. Um, the issue with renewables is once you get them online, so there's it's essentially like infinite energy if you can capture it, right? But that means that you will either have too much energy or too little energy, depending on when consumers need it. So more simply, uh, the most power you're going to get from solar, right, is going to be in the middle of the day when the sun is shining. But that's not really when people are coming home from work, watching Netflix and flipping on their air conditioners or their heaters, right? That all happens from like 5 to 9 p.m. Um, so that's really when it peaks. Um, so what that means is as we build out more and more renewable power, there's actually more and more excess energy um, in the United States specifically. Uh, where I live in California, there's, there's really interesting case studies that we've done um, and Fred and I have presented at conferences where every year we've curtailed, which means sort of wasted, more and more electricity because we're adding more and more solar. So part of the argument is, well, what if we just took a bunch of Bitcoin miners and hooked them up to these, to these power grids? And rather than wasting the electricity, why don't we use Bitcoin miners as a capacitor, as a load balancer? Um, why don't we take that, that wasted local energy and turn it into something that has global value that can then be, that's digital money, right? That can then be traded to actually subsidize the build out of new renewable power facilities, or at a local community level, you could even think of it as um, subsidizing the electricity of a local community. Um, we as a business, right, we, we hold it as assets on our balance sheet, and that's beneficial for our shareholders. But I think there's, there's actually this perfect marriage because of the lack of battery storage today that exists in power markets. There's actually a perfect marriage between renewable power and Bitcoin mining. Um, but I think that's an educational process. I don't think most people get that. I do think you're right. I think we're moving in that direction. Um, but today, the, the biggest misconception that we're always having to fight is that people believe power is a zero-sum game. They think that if we're using energy, we're taking it away from somebody else. Um, and that's just not the case because no, we don't pay what consumers pay for electricity, right? We're the, we're the consumer of last resort for electricity. So we basically only go where there's excess or free power. Yeah, it feels like it's going to take, uh, I mean, to be honest, it feels like a lot of people are just never going to realize how power works. I mean, I think, I think they never did and they never will. And uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, oh, it's bad for the environment. And, and that's kind of just going to be, just going to be it really, isn't it? Um, yeah, well, that's also part of it. Sorry, that's also, I just want to add, that's also part of it in terms of like, I think changing the narrative, right? So like, 
no one cares about energy consumption for things that they like, right? Um, Bitcoin mining uses less electricity today than Christmas lights do. Um, we still use Christmas lights, right? Because we feel that like there's, they give us utility, right? Like they're, the holidays are wonderful. Like I love December, right? Like it's, it's a really wonderful time to, to be walking around and especially in cities at night. Um, but like, is there like how much value is there to society in that, right? Whereas people look at Bitcoin mining, if they don't understand Bitcoin, it just looks like, oh, these guys are just wasting electricity or there's no value to it, right? Whereas really what we're doing is we're providing the security and of kind of the future of the financial sector, right? Bitcoin mining and proof of work is essentially what enables Bitcoin to be distributed um, and what enables the ledger to be immutable. Um, we haven't figured out how to do that on other systems. So I think there's also just um, a bit of an educational shift, not just in the power market, but helping people understand getting Bitcoin in the hands of more people so they understand its value and its utility and kind of telling those stories and then understanding that Bitcoin mining is like base layer infrastructure to enable that ecosystem to exist. So I think just over time as like Bitcoin becomes more widely adopted, um, you'll see probably that conversation shift a little bit, but yeah, it's a long process. <laughs> I mean, what I'm, what I'm hearing is that basically anyone from Bitmain listening, you need to create Christmas light uh, miners that are external, uh, yeah, external ready, right? So they could be outdoors. And as you're powering and mining Bitcoin, you're also powering a single LED and you can have them on like a tree, like, like a miner tree. I and mean, that's what it sounds like to me is the solution here. Uh, best I'd of both worlds. One. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'd buy one because it's ridiculous. Uh, I mean, anything that seems ridiculous, I'd buy, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bitcoin mining shoes. But no, um, yeah, I guess um, a question I had for, for you was... Uh, I don't know because I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how much you can disclose. I don't know how much you even necessarily would, would know about us uh, because obviously you're publicly traded. But um, I didn't yeah. know if uh, if you guys, because obviously if anyone listening, uh, like ethical investment, something that's been around for a while, there's, there's ethical investment funds and ethical investors, people who don't invest in things they consider to be uh, adult entertainment, gambling, uh, huge waste of energy, things like that. Do you guys, have you run into like uh, ethical investment funds that are investing in you guys? Like now that they're potentially seeing a change in, People are seeing a change in, in view, right? Like, because um, obviously, I can imagine go back two years ago, uh, a big ethical investment fund uh, that invests for the churches and mosques and things like that would probably go, yeah, hell no, we're not putting any of your money into this because it's wasting energy and it's terrible for the environment. But now with this narrative change, I didn't know if you guys had come across any sort of anything that would support that, like ethical investment funds that are showing interest. I know it's a bit of a specific question, but I was just interested to see whether there is anything like that, because that would really support the idea that there's a changing narrative. Yeah, I think it's starting to happen, but it's that's going to be a long process. I think there's some interest there, but, you know, it's just getting data in front and the, it's getting the right data in front of people, you know? So like the big thing that makes headlines, because it sounds big and scary, is like Bitcoin mining uses more electricity than small country, right? Um, and I think that like that that's off-putting to people. Um, but you know, if you take it into context or if you look at other figures, it totally fits like a lot of the ethical investing um, priorities to certain funds. You know, so just for example, the um, so we're founding members of the Bitcoin Mining Council, which is essentially a um, an amalgamation of a lot of the large miners. It started with mostly the publicly traded uh, Bitcoin miners in North America, and it's kind of spread and grown from that. And I forget exactly how large it is at this point, but we basically, what we do is we all just share data, it's anonymized. And then we compile that data to try to get a picture of what the industry actually looks like. Cause that's actually one of the issues, right? It's like, we don't have data and metrics on really like what's going on, um, which is hard for people to swallow. Um, but, you know, based on the latest studies that the Bitcoin Mining Council put out, and this was just, this was last week, I think maybe two weeks ago, um, as an industry, we're, almost 68% sustainable power. Um, that's more than any country. So Bitcoin mining as an industry is greener than any country um, that exists. Um, and then in terms of consumption, we use a fraction of what any major country would actually use. That's a large uh, producer. Um, in terms of like total energy, we consume 0.1% of the world's energy, right? We're like, we're a rounding error, um, but we're a rounding error that's also driven by more sustainable power than any other country on the planet. So it's, I th those conversations are happening. I've certainly had some, but I think that there's just, there's, we're just very early 
in that and that side of things. But yeah, I agree. I think um, sort of ethically focused uh, funds are perfect uh, for Bitcoin mining, and not just for that, but like if you think about the other benefits of Bitcoin, there's so much social utility for Bitcoin, right? I think. I mean, that's why we're really all in it. And I think most people you speak to in the, in the Bitcoin world are so for it, right? The idea that we're providing economic empowerment to billions of people who are unbanked, like that's, there's huge social utility there, right? There've been what, 56 or 55 um, instances of hyperinflation in human history and 55 of those or 54, whichever, have been in the last hundred years, right? And if people don't have access to sound money, if they can't save and plan for the future, it's very difficult um, to increase standard of living. And so I think if you also just look at, but that's, you know, that's a longer conversation, right? And that's not a direct thing that we do. Um, that's an indirect, that's a direct thing that Bitcoin does and indirectly we do by participating in the network and helping secure it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's, there's tons of uh, ways to kind of push the ethical investing side of Bitcoin mining. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a process. We're just very early stages. Um, Charlie, um, going back to the business side of, of mining, mm -hmm. uh, is it correct to assume that um, your, your company operates lightweight in the sense that they, you guys do not carry a lot of baggage because you intend to change? and adapt you know, quickly to changes and you're expecting those changes. Now, I would like to understand what, because I believe that there's nothing that's ever, you know, ever risk-free. So what are the cons of operating you know, in such a manner? Oh, what's, what are the risks of like that model of being agile, if you would? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I, the biggest ones are sort of, so the biggest ones are, I would say, systemic, which every Bitcoin miner would face, right? Like what happens if, Bitcoin mining is outlawed, right? Which I don't foresee that happening. It's a state-by-state -state issue. But I think there's there's systemic risks or, you know, what happens if Bitcoin goes to zero, right? Um, we obviously don't believe that's going to happen. We think there's way too much institutional interest in it at this point. Um, so there are systemic risks that we carry, but every Bitcoin miner carries, right? Um, just because we're dependent on Bitcoin. Um, for our model specifically, I would say where we kind of get some pushback is... Um, because we outsource so much of what we do for people to believe in our ability to execute on our operations, they essentially also have to believe in our partner's ability to execute, right? So our deployments with Compute North, for example, um, we're not the ones who are actually building the data centers. We're not laying foundational concrete, right? We're not putting in the transformers and switch gears. We kind of rely on them to do that. So the questions become, well, how do we know we can trust your partners, right? How do we know that you guys can execute on the strategy you've outlaid? Um, so I would say that's the risk and that you don't have everything directly under your control. Um, but we do everything that we can to mitigate that. Um, we work, we choose our partners very carefully. We work very closely with them. Um, for us, just like data point, Compute North, we've actually worked with for several years. Our CEOs have known each other personally for many years and have worked on other projects together. And we've actually run uh, about 2,000 Bitcoin miners with them for the better part of two years. And they have almost 100% uptime. So we know just from kind of this, it's not like, you know, we go out and just sign a contract and we say, hey, go figure it out. Right, like we tend to work with companies that we've got a lot of trust and rapport with, and that we have data points over long periods of time that um, lead us to indicate that they can scale up and do things in the way we think they can. But I would say that's probably that would be like the biggest sort of um, pushback or like uncertainty surrounding Marathon that I tend to hear from folks. Charlie, I know Marathon kind of made headlines uh, controversially when you guys mined a block that was like fully AML KYC transactions. Um, first of all, can I get your opinion on that? And then second of all, how would that work? Like, I mean, if you guys wanted to only mine regulatory compliant transactions, how would that work in a future? I know some of these privacy wallet guys envision like every block just being full of coin join transactions. Yeah, um, I, it's, it's actually so funny you brought that up because something that's becoming trendy now, and I literally had this conversation this morning, um, and I had it two weeks ago at a conference that Fred and I were at, 
is people toying with this idea of like, well, can we create a green Bitcoin? Um, you know, can we create one that's only purely renewable power? And then that has like some sort of special value to it, right? Um, we have personal experience with this because we attempted the OFAC thing a year ago. Um, so, and we learned a lot from doing it. Uh, the primary thing is that it doesn't work, it's impractical and uh, the community hates it. And for good reason, they hate it. So let me give you some context on kind of how that came about. So when we were kind of scaling up and we decided that we were gonna launch our own mining pool, which we basically did because um, there are aspects that we don't want to outsource um, of our business. One is the mining pool operations. We wanna be able to control where our miners are pointing to. We think there might be ways to optimize how miners are hashing and maybe you can extract a little bits of value. Um, and we needed direct insight into how we were being awarded for our operations, which at the time, Chinese mining pools wouldn't give you that degree of transparency and clarity. So we launched our own mining pool. As part of that, we started thinking, we started experimenting with, well, what are ways that we could, you know, differentiate? Because mining is kind of a commoditized business, right? Like everyone owns hardware. There's different types of hardware. People pay different amounts for electricity, but like, that's kind of it, right? There's no sales team. Again, there's no product, right? So something we were doing is we were going out and surveying a lot of institutional investors. And this was a year ago, right? So before the industry is where it is today. And something people told us is, hey, we're really interested in Bitcoin. We like this thing, but we hear that it's used by nefarious actors. We hear it's used to fund terrorist financing. Um, it, you know, it'd be really neat as if you had sort of a clean Bitcoin, if we knew that what you produced like was never touched by someone who's on the OFAC list. Um, and, you know, we, we would have extra comfort around that. Like we as, you know, sort of regulated and conservative institutions, like that's what we think would be interesting to see. Um, so we said, okay, let's try it. Let's see if we can figure this out and see if we can do it. Um, so we experimented with it, came out with it and found a way to basically, what we did is we kind of screened for wallets that were on the OFAC list. So we weren't, which got labeled as filtering transactions, right? And trying to change Bitcoin, um, which no one can do, right? If we pass, all we were doing is passing on transactions that uh, came from wallets on the OFAC list. If we pass on them, someone else picked it up instantly, right? There's no way to like, no one can control Bitcoin and filter transactions, not possible. We just wanted to experiment and see, well, could we do that as a business sort of for uh, the means of creating a coin that maybe would be institutions would like. Um, when we then went back to these institutional investors and said, hey, we've got you know this, this uh, sort of OFAC compliant Bitcoin, if you would, how much are you willing to pay for it? And they said, oh, whatever the price of Bitcoin is. So they weren't, you know, there was no market for it, right? There was this, there was this desire that, oh, we might be interested in this, but then no one actually was willing to pay for the difference. So there's actually, we don't believe there's any market for Bitcoin that's sort of branded differently, if you would. Um, and it also, it goes, it's contrary to Bitcoin's principles, right? Bitcoin being fungible is very important to Bitcoin. Um, work and uh and i think we learned that lesson very quickly right we reverse course um not too long after that uh came out um we we very much listened to the bitcoin community we also realized it was impractical and just didn't make sense um, but it was a super good learning lesson for us and now as people are starting to have conversations about other ways of trying to differentiate um you know we've already gone through that process so we're actually kind of turned to frequently as people who can give advice on this and say like Hey, is this good? Is this not? Like, would this work? Would this not? Um, so we tried it. It was, there wasn't demand for it. It also technically wasn't super feasible. Um, and ultimately, like, not great for the network. It also, like, it just doesn't quite make sense for the long term, right? So, like, if you mine something green or OFAC, right? Technically, you could label it that way as long as it sits in your wallet and never moves. As soon as it moves, it loses its differentiator, right? because there's no serial numbers in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is just a ledger entry, right? It's just data, it's just information. And so it's actually impossible to like say, oh, this Bitcoin is clean or this one is green or this one's not. Like it's inherently designed to be fungible. And the second it moves from a wallet, um, it becomes fungible again. So it was, it was an experiment, we tried it, it didn't work. Not interested in doing that anymore. <laughs>
I guess it comes from that pressure from uh, ethical investment and things like that. I, I can understand why you would try that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I can understand where the motivation comes from. Um, but yeah, as you say, there's not really any benefit. I guess because you, you mentioned uh, price of, uh, of Bitcoin and obviously the fact they were unwilling to pay more. Um, when it comes to uh, your guys' mining operations, like is there a price uh, that Bitcoin gets to on the market where it becomes, well, there is a price, obviously, where it becomes not profitable for you guys to be mining? Um, what I don't, again, you can tell me to piss off if you don't want to disclose, but like, is there, is there, what is the rough approximate price that that gets to where you guys start to mine at, uh, at a loss? And obviously, I suppose if you guys got some kind of plan for that, like there must be a period of time where, you know, you start going, okay, well, <laughs> we can mine like five years or whatever, but. <laughs> Yeah, we can't mine for 15 years at a complete loss. Yeah. Something, something's got to change, right? Like, um, what, what, what is there kind of any kind of plan around that? Any information around that that you, you have that you guys can share? Yeah, totally. So, um, this is also something that's unique about Marathon. Um, and I've been trying to educate people on this for a while. And I think now that Bitcoin's prices come down quite a bit, um, this is starting to resonate with folks. But, um, the importance of margin in mining is not just so that you make high profits in bull markets, but it means that you're very much protected in a down market, right? Or in a bear market. So today, our, with our all-in costs with the exception of purchasing the equipment. So if you think our electricity, our hosting, we don't build data centers, right? So if you want, you could say the CapEx for infrastructure is in this cost. Um, we produce a Bitcoin for about 6,200 US dollars, 6,200. So that's basically everything except our corporate overhead, which again, 11 people, not massive for a publicly traded company, um, and the depreciation of the machines we've already purchased. So we have a lot of room we can play with, right, in terms of Bitcoin's price. Um, something that's really unique about mining, and I'm sure you guys all know this, but like one of the most beautiful things about Bitcoin mining is that it's self-regulating in terms of like how difficult it is or where the industry sits. So because the difficulty rate adjusts and it becomes harder to mine Bitcoin when more people enter the market and it becomes easier to mine Bitcoin if people leave the market. If we were to find ourselves in a world where Bitcoin's price either came down so much or the total network hash rate increased so much where people's margins got around the 30% level, um, you're not gonna see new people enter the market because they can't basically earn enough to pay for CapEx of new machines. So no one's gonna grow at those levels. Um, what it means though, is that anyone who has really high power costs, right? Or signed bad agreements, paid too much for machines or deploying them too late, they're gonna get squeezed and they're either gonna have to shut down or sell their machines or something. Um, what that then means is that the difficulty rate won't grow and because we already own machines and we'll have them online at that point, and we're a low cost operator, we basically control a larger percentage of the network hash rate. So if Bitcoin's price goes up, more people continue to invest in Bitcoin mining, total network hash rate grows, we would, you know, in theory over the long run, unless we continuously grow our fleet, we would earn less and less Bitcoin every day, but the Bitcoin would be more valuable, right? If the inverse happens and we kind of go through a crypto winter, like what happened at the end of 2017 or 1819, then we're in a situation where the network's not going to expand quite as much, but we're already up and running. So we earn a higher percentage of the daily rewards. So we're earning more Bitcoin, arguably at a lower dollar rate today, but you know we're long-term believers in Bitcoin. We don't sell our Bitcoin, we hold all of it. And so long-term, that's actually good. You could argue that's good for our business, right? So we've got this interesting competitive moat based on the way that we've structured our business where uh, we're very profitable in, in bull markets, but then we've got a lot of downside protection in bear markets as well. Um, and I think if we end up in this world where kind of Bitcoin stays flat, right? Or like in these, this kind of this, the levels it's at today, um, we're going to reach a point where in a year maybe, or this year, I think you're gonna see that there might be opportunities for consolidation in the space because not everyone can operate as profitably as we can. Um, so it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out. Um, it all depends on the price of Bitcoin, right? Which is not something we control. Um, but yeah, that's one of the things that I think because of our model and our scale, like is very advantageous for us is we've got, we've got quite a bit of downside protection because of that $6,200 per BTC cost. Yeah, it definitely, it sounds like your guys' kind of um, 
startup doing things, specializing, outsourcing where it isn't strictly necessary to, to have control or isn't beneficial to have control. Um, and obviously getting a lot of minds is, 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 it seems to be a pretty smart idea for being not recession proof, but, you know, uh, crypto winter proof, I guess, is the, the best way of saying it. Um, I quite like that. I'm changing the topic a little bit here, um, but I'm, I guess I'm interested in um, is kind of, uh, well, more, more about yourself, right? So, uh, you said at the beginning that you were you were working um, in Bitcoin. No, working. You were interested in Bitcoin. Sorry, whilst you're working in investments, uh, institutional investments. Like, what? Um, how did your story with Marathon go? Because was it a situation where you kind of poached from, from or, or how did that how did that go? Like, how how did you get into Bitcoin? I guess like how did you get into Bitcoin first, and then how did it the situation go with you? Story around that. Yeah. Um... Well, I don't have as cool of a story as Peter McCormick, you know, who was buying using Bitcoin to buy cocaine on the internet. So um, <laughs> it's not going to be as fun or colorful as something like that. But I do have a little bit of an unconventional background, um, at least by traditional means, not by Bitcoin standards by any means. But um, so I studied economics in college. And so I've got sort of that background, if you would, although questionable what the value of a collegiate economics degree really is. Um, but I, when I got out of school, I wanted to be an actor. And I, like, I've done acting kind of my whole life. It's something I'm still very passionate about. It's all just about being a better human. It's kind of the way I like it. How do you listen? How do you build relationships? And so when I got out of school, I moved to New York. I did the starving artist thing um, for about two years. People tell you being starving artist is shitty. Turns out that's correct. It took me two years to figure out that lesson. Um, I was a CrossFit coach and an athletic trainer as my day job. So I was kind of in the strength and conditioning world, if you would, um, or, you know, chugging the CrossFit Kool-Aid, evangelizing that before I was evangelizing Bitcoin. Um, after a couple of years, I, I was going through a transition. I wanted to do something that was a little more intellectually stimulating, uh, was kind of frustrated with the artist route and watching people air squat. It's only so fascinating to me. So, um, I was looking to go back more to kind of like my, my econ roots, if you would. And I got introduced to Bitcoin by a friend of mine in 2016, uh, who was investing in it, trading in it with friends. And in hindsight, it was actually fortunate that I was kind of in between careers or jobs, if you would, because I had just a ton of free time to study. Um, I'm not technical, so the learning curve for me was pretty steep, uh, especially, you know, kind of earlier days where just a lot of digesting Andreas Antonopoulos and trying to understand what was going on, but loved Bitcoin's like uh, sort of philosophical leanings and sort of economic leanings more so than I did the technical side of it and really just kind of fell in love with it. So studied it kind of independently for a year ish, wanted to work in the space, but I had no, you know, tangible skills or business skills, if you would, all of my skills were intangible at the time. So did a little bit of like consulting for a smart contract startup, but just couldn't quite get my foot in the door somewhere. And then I ended up just getting lucky and getting a job in investor relations um, uh, through a friend of mine and knew absolutely nothing about it. Um, full disclosure, I like Googled capital markets before my interview, um, <laughs> you know, like very green, right? Um, but I just kind of put my head down. I cut my teeth there for about I think I was there for a little over three years, three and a half years or so. And um, I was like the Bitcoin guy in the office. Uh, when I got hired, the president of the company asked everyone to give him like an investment thesis pitch. And I was pitching Bitcoin and um, wasn't very well received. Um, probably would have been a good investment at the time. This was 2018. Um, but uh, essentially, as once we kind of got to a point where real sort of Bitcoin companies started uh, appearing in public markets and like looking for investor relations help, they basically started getting fed to me because I was like the Bitcoin guy. So I actually did the first company I worked with really that was serious was Riot Blockchain, actually. So I kind of helped with their IR efforts uh, the start of 2020. And then when that relationship phased out, Marathon came on board as a client. And at the time was like a seven million dollar market cap company um had three employees maybe owned two thousand machines i don't even think they'd placed their first ten thousand unit order yet at the time um and along with uh they had another outside ir resource at the time named jason assad 
he and I kind of like tag team the IR efforts. And so got to be involved basically, you know, on the whole building process of the business. Um, when they were, I think they raised about $500 million in capital um, through ATMs mostly at the end of 2020. And simultaneously we're buying machines and Bitcoin's price was going up and stock price was going up. Um, and so I got to be involved in that whole process. I wanted to do something in Bitcoin full-time. The industry started to feel like it got to a point where like, there were more opportunities and I started to, so I was looking for something. I started to kind of carve a little niche for myself as like the crypto IR guy. I did it. I had a couple other companies I worked with. I was going to do a, like a crypto event um, for institutional investors, which now there's tons of those. There were none at the time. Um, and I think uh, Fred and I just had, it. once Fred became CEO, he and I had a conversation. He uh, basically asked if I wanted to come join full time. And I said, hell yeah. And so I uh, jumped in and that's where I sit today. So. You guys mentioned you're in Texas and also Montana. Is there any other regions within the United States that you're uh, looking towards? And then also, what about outside the U.S.? Yeah, so we're looking. Uh, so we have a couple, some legacy miners that I mentioned, like that 2000 or so with Compute North. Those are in uh, South Dakota and Nebraska. Uh, so they've got facilities there. Most of the operating machines today are in Hardin, Montana. Um, most are going to be deployed in Texas, though, a couple different locations at these power stations. Um, we are looking at other states. What's kind of interesting, where we look is renewable power. So for us, that's people define that differently, but solar, wind, hydro, we actually throw nuclear into that mix as well. We're not really doing a ton of nuclear today, but um, we think that's a, a perfect pairing for Bitcoin mining because you can scale up a nuclear facility with zero marginal cost, right? There's a lot today in the US that sit at like 50, like that sit well below capacity. Um, the uh, but then it's got to be a friendly regulatory environment and the cost has to be low enough so you know that that uh, states that have been more vocally anti-bitcoin mining or questioning of it maybe not where we're going to go today places we've looked um, but not today uh, we are very interested in doing stuff outside the us though today 100 percent of the operations are within the us we do think it might be we're starting to think about that mostly from a strategic perspective um, you know, there's just, again, the U S is great mostly because of regulation and because of the excess power that exists here in the United States. But, um, you know, we are believers that Bitcoin's hash rate should be decentralized and you don't want too much concentration of risk within the network. Um, you know, we ourselves are, are not going to like make that change, but just philosophically, we like to think that way. So, uh, yeah, we look at other places. It's kind of, it's interesting right now though, like, Scandinavia was a really interesting place, but Europe has shut down Bitcoin mining for the time being. Um, so you have to be a South America maybe is a place to go, but most places outside the US, the next biggest place today be after since Kazakhstan shut down is Russia. Um, questionable if we would go there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, we, we do look at geographic diversity. It's important. Um, but today all the operations are US based. You think could be uh, listening to this podcast, man, and uh, you know it's going to give you a call, Charlie, uh, anytime. To see if yeah. you want to head over to Russia. You never know; could happen. <laughs> Always yeah, open to having a conversation. I'll talk to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get on the phone to Russia. Uh, yeah, no, I think they've got uh, they've got a lot going on at the moment uh, with uh, Ukraine and stuff, uh, so they're probably a bit busy. Yeah. But uh, but um, no, I, I guess uh, I've I've got one last question I wanted to ask you, which was, um, sure. do you? Do you see any situation in the future? Because obviously you guys are, are mining Bitcoin. Um, do you see any situation in the future where you guys would diversify into mining various different altcoins or even setting up nodes and, and stuff like that um, in order to, to, to make money, basically? Is that something you see yourselves going? Or do you think that you guys in your short, short, and, long -term, short and long term plans have got it set so that essentially Bitcoin is where you're focused. That's a good question. Yeah, we've, um, we've, you're right. So we're, we're just Bitcoin today, hundred percent, you know, um, and we, we hold all the Bitcoin we mine. Um, so we're kind of very simple from like, as an investment thesis from that perspective, like we're a proxy for Bitcoin is how a lot of institutions look at us. Um, which I do think people like. That being said, we have explored the idea and we're, we're actually revisiting it and continuing to look at this is, does it make sense to take a portion of our operations and mine altcoins 
um, and then basically sell those and use the profits to pay for our operating expenses. Um, so that's something we're looking at. I think it's unlikely you would see us mine altcoins and hold them the way we do our Bitcoin. Um, but could we, are there, are there strategies that we could use to basically help cover like ongoing costs of running the business? Uh, that's something that we're looking at. Um, I don't know how realistic it is, like in terms of that being part of our like actual future plans. Like, I don't know how the probability of that actually being implemented, but it's something that we have looked at before and are continuing to look at. So I would say that's probably the only capacity you would see us start playing in the altcoin space, if you would. What's maybe more likely for us is if you think about the idea that we're soon going to be in a place where we're earning a very large amount of Bitcoin on a daily basis, and if we're not selling it, we're kind of becoming like a large asset manager almost, right? We're just sitting on this pool of capital. Um, so then the question is, what do you do with it? Um, and I think you may see us start implementing strategies of like, we're, we're actually, we've already been experimenting with this, but like, can we generate yield off of our Bitcoin holdings and use that to cover operating expenses? Um, that's something we're experimenting with today. Uh, would it make sense for us to start? People always ask me like, what's the long-term plan for Marathon, right? Like in 10 years, where's this company going to be? Um, if we become a large holder of Bitcoin, we're not just a proxy for investors to invest in Bitcoin, but then we also have opportunities to actually invest in the Bitcoin ecosystem as well. Um, so basically leveraging that Bitcoin or that pool of capital as a way to kind of look at um, develop, you know, investing in startups or experimenting with other businesses that are either directly tied to Bitcoin mining um, or that are kind of doing work within the Bitcoin ecosystem. Because if we can help build out the Bitcoin ecosystem, that's good for us, right? And we think that's good for our mission as well. So I think you might see more initiatives in that side. But the altcoin thing is an interesting question, something that we have uh, we have explored. So what about you, Charlie? Um, besides Bitcoin, do you have any other interests in crypto, NFTs, metaverse, uh, meme coins? <laughs> yeah. You know, I do. Unfortunately, I, I got so much just trying to stay on top of Bitcoin. I don't have as much time as I'd like to research everything else. Uh, Bitcoin moves fast enough for me personally, but um, I, I really like the premise of the NFT space. And I like, so if I go, if I think about like when, like when I first got into Bitcoin um, and like the, the use of blockchain technology, like what's a blockchain for? Like, why do people have, like, why should that exist? Why do people use them? Um, makes a lot of sense for me for uh, non-centrally controlled money, for distributed and immutable money. Um, the next best thing for me is it's data that doesn't exist in the real world, I think is probably where there are lots of interesting use cases. I think NFTs are an example of that, right? What is, NFTs essentially do is they take something that's digital and they create scarcity around it. So something where there was no scarcity, all of a sudden scarcity exists. And if you can create scarcity, then you have, then there's value there, right? There's monetary value to something that's scarce. There's no monetary value to something that has no scarcity. Um, so I actually think that's a really interesting use case. I've always thought that um, identity, um, people talk about health records as one example, but like your credentials, like who you are, like that, that should totally live on a blockchain in my head. Um, and I, I always think about this example when there's like, if I kind of, if I try to put my shoes and, or if I try to put myself in the shoes of someone who's like a refugee. So think about like Afghanistan, right? What happened there recently. You know, all these people whose country just fell apart and the, those who are lucky enough to get out, like how in the hell do you prove who you are, right? Like, how do you prove that you, you know, that you have credentials that people can trust you that, you know, that how, like, how do you rebuild your life? Right. Very difficult to do if you don't have your identity with you. Um, and if your country fell apart, your identity essentially fell apart. Right. Um, so I've always thought like stuff like that should, that has value, but isn't tangible, like doesn't exist in the real world. I've always thought those are like the next best use cases for blockchains. Um, so really interested in that. Um, I was at a conference recently with Fred that was mostly geared towards uh, DeFi and loved every talk I heard. Unfortunately, I just don't have time to like research it as closely as I would like. So 
Um, but you know, it's like, it's a really exciting space, right? There's so much that's changing and so much that's moving. Um, and that's one of the fun parts of being in it, right? One of the reasons I wanted to be in it for so long. It's like the coolest, it's the coolest industry to be part of, right? I think I do a small, I've got a small role, right? Bitcoin mining is very specific, but I think as a whole, it's a really, really cool space to be in. I have one last question. Um, you did mention that you had a discussion with Fred and he said that um, you project and you actually predict that in the future, power companies will start you know, owning mining businesses. Is this something that you know, you've heard in some rumor or chatter about somewhere or do you just think it's something that should naturally happen because the incentive is there? Feel strongly that it's going to happen. Part of that is incentive. Part of it is you're actually seeing that come to life today. So it's really, and it's amazing. I've, I have some friends who work in the power uh, world and some that I've pitched this to are saying like, great idea, they should do it, but they won't do it for like a decade. Um, because of like kind of how conservative they are and they, you know, they sort of, they tend to move slowly and they tend to think in like decades, not months, um, because you know, they're the amount of capital it requires to build a new power facility. Um, what's amazing to me is how quickly the mentality has shifted though. So a year and a half ago, um, and I know this anecdotally from friends who've worked in power companies, um, a year and a half ago, they would not touch it. Uh, I have a friend who used to work at a large power company. And I think for the better part of two years, he was pitching them on Bitcoin mining, starting maybe in 2018 or 19. Um, they just shut them down. Um, now I know that same company, like we've had conversations with about how do they get into Bitcoin mining? Um, so every major, act, we've talked about this, every major or most of the large power companies in the United States have approached us and asked us how they can get into Bitcoin mining. And they, because they get it, right? They're sitting on these assets and especially in the renewable space, um, they're sitting on these assets that are not operating at hundred percent capacity. And if they can charge someone three cents per kilowatt hour on something that's currently wasted and generates no revenue, they would love to do that. What's interesting is long-term, if they actually own the Bitcoin, right? If they own, if they were more vertically integrated than just like renting or selling the excess power, um, depending on where Bitcoin's price is, uh, but they'd be making somewhere between 30 and 40 cents per kilowatt hour on right now, something that is zero, right? So the economic incentives are huge and you're starting to see it. The announcement we've made by working directly with a large renewable power company is part of this process, I believe. Um, and actually there's one, there is a public company called Constellation I think they were just spun out of Exelon not too long ago, and they're kind of their own branch now. But they held an analyst day, and this is public. This is on their investor relations website. You can go check out the recording. They held an analyst day um, two weeks ago where they were asked about kind of how they're going to innovate, generate new revenue, and kind of grow the business. And they directly talked about Bitcoin mining as part of that mission. So it's amazing that this industry that thinks in multi-decade timeframes typically basically within a year has done a 180 on how they're looking at it um so we think it's yeah i think it's on the horizon i think you're going to see announcements this year um from people talking about it but you just have to bear in mind that like there's headline risk for them there's also just regulatory complications like they can't be their own customers so they can't um, they can't own 100% of a Bitcoin mining facility. They would need to own portions of it, basically. And that's just like in the weeds of the regulation. But um, they're, I think once they have comfort around it, I think you'll see more people start talking about it in a bigger way. No, it's interesting to see. And I think, oh, yeah, well, I believe you're right uh, that we're going to see this year uh, mining get picked up by uh, more energy companies. It just makes sense, doesn't it, really? You've got the further energy, use it. Make, exactly. monetize it uh, it's just 100 uh, obvious i guess I, I have one extremely fast question before we do head out um i'm aware of time um that i think people who've been listening to this podcast are going to be asking themselves do you still do crossfit <laughs> you know i love that's a that's a great question it's the most important question you've asked me this whole time um, it is not really. I, uh, I, I got fairly beat up from like my semi-competitive days of doing it, training, you know, doing multiple sessions a day. Um, I would actually really like to get back into it. It's, it's very fun. Um, 
but it's uh it's not the way that I like and I it's served a great base for me um all my training today is based around functional movement um which you know CrossFit introduced right I'm not the guy who does like biceps for 20 minutes and then runs on a treadmill for 20 minutes and calls myself fit um so I still there's like there's base layer education there that crosses over but uh technically no is the answer to your question Gotcha. Okay. No, that's fair enough. I've got this image of you as like a Joe Rogan with the kettlebells like doing all the functional stuff. Uh, uh, there, there, there are, there are kettlebells. With there, of course there are. And you've got the elk jerky <laughs> in the background as well. And the uh, DMT. Yeah. No, like, uh, no, yeah, no squat rack. I'm not, not cleaning jerk in my apartment here. Gotcha. Okay. No, fair enough. Okay. No, I appreciate the, uh, the insight there, but nice. No, um, it's been awesome to, to chat to you, man. And um, so, yeah, it's um, interesting to see how, uh, how things differ in the money industry. Um, so I appreciate you coming on, man. Is there anything uh, final you wanted to say before we head out? Not necessarily, other than I really appreciate you guys having me on. This has been a fun conversation. Um, I hope I didn't monologue too much and <laughs> take over too. It was, I felt like it was a little, it wasn't much of a dialogue, but um, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Anytime you have, you know, if I can help or help answer questions or whatnot, like always happy to be a resource. So um, yeah. No, you're really good. Perfect. It's like, thanks. It's like we, we like to let the guests talk more, much, 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 much more than we do because we're not exactly that interesting people to be realistically honest with you. So uh, you're the reason people are listening. So it's all good. Um, uh, but yeah. I don't know about that, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> I say take care and uh, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Ricardo and Jerry, for joining us, of course, as well. And thank you for everyone listening. Have uh, an amazing uh, day, week, year, month, uh, life. Uh, be happy and keep buying Bitcoin. Take care.